Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of What's Chirping. I'm your host Sanjana and I can't wait to talk to you guys about something that is quite different from our previous conversations. Other than cultural differences, the United States houses people who practice various different religions. Religion is a means of practicing faith and spirituality and is often complex in terms of how a person exercises faith and spirituality. Being a Hindu and a child of immigrants, I have had a first-hand experience at the cultural and religious gap that many children of immigrants face. Oftentimes, we were told to perform certain rituals or watch our parents perform them while practicing our religion. William James once said, Religion is the feelings, acts, and experiences of individual men in their solitude, so far as they apprehend themselves to stand in relation to whatever they may consider the divine. However, if we don't understand the practices, how can we connect to the divine and really immerse ourselves in spirituality? Thus, today, we will be delving in Hinduism and address the following questions. How did the various specific rituals and practices of bhakti to personal gods arise in the Hindu religion? And how have these religious rituals sorry, evolved over time? Hopefully, through this discussion, many first-generation Hindus can better understand their religion and bridge the cultural and religious gap they experience. Before we dive in, I think a brief introduction on Hinduism would help our listeners who aren't Hindus. Hinduism is a religion originating from South Asia and consists of multiple gods that are worshipped by the devotees. The trinity in Hinduism comprises of Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the sustainer, and Shiva, the destroyer. There are many festivals and rituals that are conducted as a way of worshipping and connecting spirituality as well. So, moving on, let's get into talking about rituals, shall we? So, my lovely listeners, where do you think is the best place to start when talking about rituals in Hinduism? Well, usually, when we research, the best place to look is from the start, and with religions, what better place to start looking than ancient texts? Hinduism has several ancient texts, One, which is the Puranas. The Puranas contain several stories about gods, sages, heroes, and many more. As a matter of fact, I was discussing with my mother about the significance of the Puranas before this recording. I recently read a book called Hindu Rituals at the Margins, and the author, David Haberman, talked about the Puranas in it. He analyzed how various stories from the Puranas reveal information about how, when, and what rituals arose. Wow, what a coincidence that I read a book on the, on the topic we're discussing today. But anyways, the Puranas being an ancient text have had a, had a major impact on Hinduism. So let me share a story and a debriefing made by Mr. Haberman in his book. Haberman names the chapter of this book where he analyzes the relation between the Puranas and rituals as the accidental ritualist. Now, we'll get, get to know why in a while and why he names it this way, but let's start off with the story told in the Uttarakhand of the Padma Purana. Haberman talks about this story in his book as well. So, in this story, we are introduced to a hunter who is a violent and cruel hunter. However, things change when he accidentally ends up knocking over Bilva leaves onto the Shivalinga statue while trying to hunt a boar on the night of Shivratri, a festival dedicated to Lord Shiva. The hunter happens to be awake all night and doesn't eat anything at all. This accidental act transformed him greatly and he was apparently freed from all of his sins and his heart became pure. 
We're shown a proof of this when the hunter saves the dog from getting beaten by the hunter's wife, when the dog tries to steal the meat that she was cooking. This guy is also a hunter, right, as we talked about before, so saving an animal is pretty out of the ordinary. When the hunter realizes his previous mistakes and sins, he tries to kill himself. However, Shiva's attendants stop him and inform him that Shiva was pleased with him and has taken away and has been taken away to the Lord's abode. The reason that Shiva was pleased was due to the fact that the hunter observed a fast, stayed awake all night, and offered bilva leaves to Linga. So, going off of this chapter's title, you can guess that this accidental offering ended up becoming a ritual. On Shivaratri, observing fast, praying all night, and offering bilva leaves to the linga are all rituals that are performed till this day. This accidental story is just one of many examples of stories where an accidental or unknown action led to a ritual taking birth. Habermann analyzes that these accidental actions turn into rituals due to the fact that these actions often please God or show devotion, which is bhakti. Showing devotion to God is a major aspect of the bhakti tradition in Hinduism and a form of worship as well. These actions were ways of showing devotion to God and led to bearing fruits of this good devotional deed. This actually makes a lot of sense when we think about why rituals are performed and what the result of the rituals are. It reminds me of how as children, and even now actually, we are told of many, many stories about different gods. There are often 10 to 20 stories we hear about just one god, but all of these stories seem to convey a message about morals or showing devotion. Since stories seem to be so common and important, let's move on to another story, shall we? While researching on my own to prepare for this episode, I stumbled upon a journal article titled Sacred Rivers, Their Spiritual Significance in Hindu Religion by Govindasami Agurumurthy. This article talks about sacred rivers of India. While there are everyday ritualistic practices, rivers have a huge spiritual and ritualistic importance in India. Obviously, not everyone has access or lives right next to a sacred river. Author Agoramurthy introduces the basic history of rivers and Hinduism, which I'm going to be sharing here. Rivers are considered deities in Hinduism, and some of the sacred rivers include the Ganges, also known as Ganga. Another few other sacred rivers are Godavari, Narmada, Kaveri, and many, many more. Since the rivers are considered deities, Hindus believe that bathing in the river can wash away your sins. When we started this podcast, we said that we would talk about how some rituals have evolved, and what better example than the Kumbh Mela? Agora Murthy in his article talks about the mythological story behind the celebration of the Kumbh Mela. When the gods and demons had an extensive battle, the ocean of milk was churned and 14 treasures resulted, out of which one was the nectar of immortality. The gods eventually won and got the nectar, or also called as Amrit, but drops of the Amrit were scattered during the churning process. The four places where they were scattered are now considered holy pilgrimage sites in Hinduism, and each place holds celebrations during the Kumbh Mela, which is a celebration. Dipping in the sacred rivers, specifically Ganga, is a ritual that is also part of a larger celebration and festival. Bathing in the Ganga River has always been a ritual of holiness, but over time, it was also included into the practices 
done during celebrations like Kumpmilov, as an example. This ritual originated to cleanse oneself of one's sins by showing devotion to the deity and now is incorporated to also celebrate the god's victory over evil. I think this is a great example of how rituals have evolved. Evolution doesn't always mean that the ritual has major changes. It could also mean that it is now used and incorporated in ways that weren't done before. So now as we near the end of the podcast, I want to share one more topic related to rituals that will help us come full circle with our discussion. The first story we talked about was of Shiva and the ritual of Bilva leaves. Well, coming back to Shiva, let's talk about sectarianism in Hinduism. Out of the three gods in the Trinity, Shiva and Vishnu have their own sects of worshippers that specifically carry out daily rituals of bhakti to them. Brahma doesn't have a sect, but that's a different discussion for a different day. On page 32 of Elaine Fisher's book, Hindu Pluralism, sectarianism in Hinduism is described as being a Shaiva or a Vaishnava, who are adherents of a particular lineage or community. These adherents are either Shiva or Vishnu Bhakts. Fisher explains her findings that at one point, Hindus did not have sects. However, scriptures on sculptures in Belur, a place in the study of Karnataka, mentioned Vishnu as the one particular god worshipped. Eventually, both sects had separate literature made as well. Similar to how Bilba leaves are a ritual in worshipping Shiva, there are plenty of other rituals solely for Vishnu as well. Since we've been mentioning evolution, well, how have these rituals evolved in coordinates with sectarianism? Well, the answer to this is festivals that encompass ritualistic practices. Shaivas and Vaishnavas have their own festivals they celebrate or are more holy for them. For example, Shivratri that we talked about earlier is very holy for Shaivas, while Krishna Janmashtami is more holy or more important for a Vaishnava. And the specific rituals for each of these gods is amplified more during their respective festivals, obviously other than while they do it during their daily practices. So here we are guys. We came full circle and I think we covered our initial questions we asked at the start, don't you think? There are so many rituals and so many stories in Hinduism, but I hope my fellow children of immigrants or others who are here just to learn have learned a little bit behind the rituals they were often just told to do. Personally, having an explanation of, oh, this is the story or moral behind the ritual or, oh, this is how it's evolved really helped me understand the rituals better. While it's not possible to learn every single story, because let's be honest, there's tons, knowing the moral behind it and why it's also performed in festivals really helped me connect to my religion much better, and which is what I learned while researching. Well, that's it for today, folks. I'll see you back tomorrow for another episode of What's Chirping, and I hope you learned a lot today.